Right, welcome to uh, another episode of uh, Frank Conversation With, and I'm delighted to be joined by the founder of Sudulo Group, Paul Cheatham. Paul, welcome. No worries, thanks for having me. I should say welcome back. I think this is the uh, second, maybe third time you've done a podcast with us, and and we've reciprocated because, of course, you do a cracking podcast as well. Tell us a little bit about that before we get into what Sudulo's about. Yeah, it's funny, actually, because we've been doing it over a couple of years now, so I've, I've... I forgot why I was set out to do it at one point, but no, the reason I set out to do it was uh, twofold. One was um, because it was to showcase our client base. So a part of it was to showcase the people we're in and around and the stories. Um, and that, so that was the first part. But the second part really was what a lot of people don't understand with businesses. Everybody's story is the same, mm. right? Everybody's story is the same. There's a hardship. There's, there's a struggle. There's a fight. There's a, a reward. You know, and, and of course, the, um, what, what the actual detail is is different, but the journey is always the same. So I think it's good to, it's good to share those. It's, it's less of a sort of, um, what do you call it, a current affairs podcast mm. mine and more about a journey okay. uh, and the struggle along the journey so that other people can tap in and listen to it and think, fucking hell, that's where I am on the journey and mm. it's not as bad as what you think. And I think the one thing I've got out of mine was was exactly that. It was my ability then to speak to clients and say, just listen to her on this podcast. Mm. It's about where you are or it's about where she was two years ago mm. and, and how she came through it and kind of the light on the other side of the tunnel. So that, that was that was why I did it really, just yeah. trying, to, trying to keep it real, right? Have some rawness in there and some, some sort of uh, truths that people can touch upon to get them through mm. hard times because we're all going to have them, especially now. Yeah, and it's quite a cathartic uh, podcast to listen to because as you say you've got people on there who've been there done it got the t-shirt yeah and of course the thing it helped motivate you towards w- was writing a book yeah um so you did that last year yeah uh, and how did that sort of come about was it something he just thought i'll start writing a few things on paper or was it something that you set out to do to actually author a book no, it came, so it came by chance. We were setting up a Liverpool, a, a London office, and um, I was finding myself frustrated, actually. The real reason was I was finding myself for two hours on the train to London and two hours back, and, and, and the connectivity was annoying me. That's actually the start, and I thought, I've got to find a way of, of filling this time uh, proactively every week, so I was going down every week. And then I don't know what then happened, but I started to write... And you'll know that I've been through quite a bit of anxiety and quite a bit of mental illness, toughness, whatever you want to call it. And I just started to write about my life, and it just went on. Then and it just went from there. But the actual so, I just, and then it became very, very therapeutic. Mm. As I was writing it, it, I was looking forward to writing the next chapter and the next chapter. And um, I really enjoyed doing it. I'll be honest with you. I really enjoyed it, and I learned a lot about myself doing it. I would, I would tell everybody to write a book, everybody, because I think what it allows you to do, which we're very poor at as humans in, in, in general, is, is, is kind of, you're in this journey, you're just fucking fighting every day. You hardly ever live in the moment, which we should all try and do more. We all know that, but how many of us do it? But sometimes you don't ever go back and understand maybe what's driving you, number one. Or, or even pat yourself on the back if that's the right term to go, fucking hell, I started here. I forget that I had potato ash for the first three years of my life. 
seven days a week, and that was, the corned beef butties was a, a treat. But when I started to relive that, I started to sort of get, I don't know, even a therapeutic, but even, even the ability to pat myself on the back and think, actually, you, you, you've come a long way. Mm. I found it very therapeutic. I advise everyone to do it. Yeah. And, and so tell us about Sedulo Group then, because it's been a journey and a half. And yes. uh, we're going to talk about your latest office open in a moment. But tell us about the business first. So the, the business was, I'm an accountant, which a lot of people don't believe, but I am an accountant. <laughs> um, and, uh, and there was two, the reason I set the business up was I used to be an accountant internally for someone. And then I went to be an accountant in a practice environment where you've got lots of clients and it's complete chalk and cheese. And I preferred the first. I preferred the one where I was adding value and, and working with people and um, having an influence on decisions, rightly or wrongly, you know. So I enjoyed that part of being an accountant, creating value, adding value, make decisions. And you don't really get that in a practice scenario. You don't you don't get people on the journey with you as much as you should get. Um, so I thought I'd just set up that kind of internal accountancy roles in an external setting. And that was it. But because of that, it meant I was able to be on a lot of people's journeys. And some of them in the early days were quite successful. You know, the guys at Just Search, you were very successful in uh, 07, 08, 09. And I was there from, you know, probably two or three months uh, into their journey. And that was very successful ending um and yeah so as as we grew as accountants helping businesses grow grow they needed all these different things so people getting wealthy so they needed financial planning so i brought that team in um people getting divorced so they needed forensics so i brought that team in people needed tax planning trust planning inheritance tax planning companies that were growing needed debt finance so i brought a banking team in then they were saying we want to sell or we want to float or we want to get some private equity investments in so i brought that team in so what we end up with today is 150 or so staff three to four cities liverpool being next and effectively what i class as a full service agency but our, our services are uh, financial so we do everything over in insolvency and our typical client hasn't is not a typical size. Everybody always says, Oh, it's your typical client, they want you to say two mil or one mil or ten mil. But it's just people who are on a journey, people who are busy and they need everything along that way. And it could be life insurance, it could be pensions, it could be divorce work, it could be mortgages, we do mortgages. So we just have a business and and personal um offering, which means you can just we just you know, you can tap into us all all along your journey really. Yeah. So that's what we do. Uh, and when you say an accountancy firm and a yeah. financial support firm, yeah. you'd have to go to one of your fabulous offices in either Leeds, yeah. Manchester, soon in Liverpool, as I say, we'll talk about that in a moment. But you walk in and you would think you were in an events management company or a media company or a digital and tech company because really cool offices. Uh, and I think the other thing, more importantly than the environment that you're operating in, is the style that you've adopted in terms of your approach to your customer base. Mm -hmm. So downtown and business is a customer. Yeah. We feel it's a great fit because we're a little bit disruptive, we're a bit edgy, and we've never really felt, uh, with due respect to yeah. the accountants that we've had in the past, yeah. that they quite get us yeah. because we are a little bit different. Whereas with you guys, you know, it's been an entirely different experience mm. because... First of all, you talk in layman's terms, mm. so you don't bamboozle anybody with numbers and 
uh, you know, the, the technicalities of the job. Um, but secondly, as I say, it's just a very comfortable and cool environment to mm. be in. Mm. Now that, I think, is very entrepreneurial mm. in terms of somebody having the vision to apply that sort of approach to a financial services business. Yeah. Was that something that you'd envision right from the off of setting the business up or has that evolved? I spoke to somebody the other day who asked me a similar question and it made me go back to the first day in the office. And the first day in our office, obviously the same as anyone else, you've got a small room. Ours looked like a boudoir and I think I've said this before. I just went off on how can we be different. I don't want to call it Treatment Co. Right, Sajulo. Why Sajulo? Latin for care and persistent effort. Okay, that'll do me. Um, care, care. I think, is one of the things, going back to what you just said there, that a lot of advisors lack. I think if a lot of advisors will go through the motions and tick the box and value accounts do it, but did he care? So that, for me, was the start, difference in the name. I remember the first day again, and it was a boudoir. I'd, I'd done it all red. I'd sprayed everywhere gold. I don't know why I'd done this, but it did look like... You know, if it had a pole in it, you could have hired it out <laughs> in the evening, that's for sure. But in the corner was a Foster's beer fridge, a bowl of sweets, a, a, a bowl of um, chocolate and a bowl of biscuits. And actually, when I look at what we've got today, it's just that time, you know, instead of a, a Foster's fridge, we've got, you know, 4,000 square foot, either New York office in Manchester or an Ivy style office is going to come to... Um, Liverpool, rooftop reggae bar, but oh, really, it's just serving drinks. Yeah. And the idea, even in the, the first, was that people could come in and feel comfortable. Um, they could come in and have a glass of wine or a beer, or some chocolate or some biscuits, or whatever you wanted <laughs> to do. But even so, and, and my very first Christmas day was in Dublin, and it was just me and one other guy. Yeah. And um, if we could get away in um, December, there'd be 150 of us going to Mallorca. Yeah. So I've kept those themes through, but just... At a, at a level that I can afford them at, yeah. in comparison to the standard, but actually it's the same principle, if, if I think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's always to do that. Um, I don't know where, I did quite a bit of work in Google Dublin's office, early doors when I was part uh, of the, okay. the marketing um, team. Couldn't understand why, why an accountancy firm would f feel it can't operate from somewhere of comfort, of fun, of creativeness, because that doesn't make sense to me. So. I think some seeds might have been dropped there. And, and the, before we were, the one thing I did tap into, and I do today, and we maybe might touch on this a little bit later on, is my net worth is in my client base. The ecosystem that I've developed is worth far more than valuing my business at a multiple of mm. revenue or a multiple of EBITDA or whatever. It's actually the brilliant people that we've got in our client base, which was one of the reasons for the podcast. Um, so... Before WeWork existed, I did have this idea to take a 5,000, 4,000 square foot of my office space, bang on the centre of Deansgate Manchester, it's expensive office space, and just turn it into a bar and a pool room and a suite place where you can eat sweets and a place where you can have a board meeting, but a place where we could have festivals, which we have festivals every year, and um, we've, you know, we've had all types of people either speak there from sort of Sky Sports News to do events. We've had Amazon and Google representatives, and then we've had Dane Bowers and Fats and Small and rappers like Big Nasty. So we've had, so we've had a whole mix really of stuff going on, but just to create some fun. Yeah. Um, so that, that's how it evolved anyway from a Foster's Bear fridge in a boudoir at the start. <laughs> and that sort of 
inspirational approach, and it is yeah. an inspirational approach to any business, not just somewhere yeah. in the financial sector, I think mirrors your personality um, because you are somebody who clearly takes business seriously mm. because mm. the business you're in yeah. demands that you do. Yeah. But the word you've just used then, fun. Yeah. You want to enjoy life, don't you? And, yeah. and, and therefore, you know, whether we like it or not, the majority of the time we spend as adults is in work. Mm -hmm. And so you've got to try and create something where you're going to be waking up in the morning thinking, I'm looking forward to going in. Yeah. And that's what you've done, isn't it? 100%. And I think sometimes people misinterpret who we are. Underneath the fun is a very, very serious engine. And I fucking take it very, very serious. Mm -hmm. And it's I'm not an easy person to work. I don't think I'm an easy person to work with. Um, because the demands are high. I just demand, the demands are, and, and, and so underneath that engine is a very robust business, but on the top of it, you've got to introduce fun. Mm. And I think some businesses like both. Mm. They like the actual cutting edge, Michael Jordan style, mm. winning, making a difference. You've got, um, you know, as we're talking right now, creating change in the, in the communities we exist. That's our mission statement. And I'm deadly serious about it. But at the flip side, you only live once. Mm. And I can't understand why people don't want to create spaces where people, I don't want to work with dickheads. Mm. And that's whether you're a client yeah. or, and no matter how big you are either, how much money you want to pay. Yeah. Life's too short for that. And I don't understand why anyone would want to um, compromise enjoying life with not enjoying life. By the way, it's been a tough ride. And um, the, I think in, in, in the book that I wrote, one of the things I wanted to get across in the book is you can look at me. I find it hard to accept that we're successful, really. But I think we're getting close to it. Um, but the first six years, it took six years to get to a million quid. The next six years, we'll do a million pound a month. Mm. I think that for me is like, one of the major stories I'll always tell people when they're on that business journey. It took, I can't tell you how many hours I put in, Frank, yeah. in them first six years. I can't explain the pain. It was painful. It was seven days a week. It was Christmas Day. It was 20 hours a day, no problem, no holidays. But once I broke the back of it, you know, that old thing where you're pushing up the hill mm. and the minute it tips, I think we did two million after year seven, four million after year eight, and so on and so yeah. forth. And so I think I like to be transparent and open about mm. stuff like that as well. Yeah. Um, transparent with the staff, transparent with clients. It doesn't bother me. Mm. It is what it is. It's my journey. Yeah. Um, but the, so the real hard work in the, in, in the background is there. Mm. But, you know, you've got, to get, you've got to work with people that want to come to work. Mm. Why not create an environment where they want to come to work? And don't follow people. I know this is a long answer, but what happened when we set up the um, Sajulo and created this leisure space? Let's just call it a leisure space for now. Um, other advisors, lawyers, corporate start to go, I think we'll have a leisure space. And they've kind of got it, and the people have spent a lot more on it than us. But I mean, we've got a rooftop shack, as you know, probably spent 20 grand on it because we, you know, we bought surfboards that were second hand for 70 quid and made a shack. Cost us probably five grand to make, you know, probably more than that, but. And I know people who spent a million quid on the leisure space. And you go, Jesus, you know. 
and the, and, and it's so convention conference style. Mm. What's the point? Um, you would basically aye, so yes, it is. And then yeah. what's happened now is, in the last six months, a few people have come to me and gone. I don't think we'll be doing that leisure space now that we had when we move in 2021. And I looked at it and I thought, oh God, I've got all this space. And a lot of it is, in theory, in the world, you know, in, in, in our world, if you had a shop, you'd have rails all over your shop, wouldn't you? you in our world, you have desks all over your offices and you earn money off every desk. Um, and and then there was a point where I got to about April, May, June time-ish and I thought, hmm, just about to do Liverpool. I thought, do I need these size spaces? And then I went the other way and I thought, do you know what's going to happen now? Everybody's going to think, actually, what we'll do is we'll retract. We'll go smaller. We'll have no leisure space or less leisure space. And then I thought, well, I'm going to go the opposite way. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get more. I'm going to get a bigger office in Liverpool than what I was originally going to get. I'm going to get a bigger... I'm going to try and get um, the floor that we're... That's one, there's one floor we don't have in Manchester, which I'm going to try and get. And I'm going to turn it into a spa. And I'm going to turn it into a wellbeing centre. And I'm going to put a chef in every single office at some stage. Maybe next year. I'm not sure. Because it, my ideal is... You come to work with, with, with us, with me. Whether you're a client or not. Or, and this is clients as well. But let's just say the team now. You come in in the morning and a chef makes you eggs benedict if you want eggs benedict. You do a load of work and it gets some lunch time. You go upstairs to the gym. You do a yoga class or you do a weight session. Then you go and have a, st a spa, a steam or a sauna. Then you come back to work, do your work. And then and then you, you get you can go down to the chef at four or five o'clock and have your um, early, early dinner cooked. And I think... Imagine what that would be like coming to work for us if we can get to that level of experience. And uh, when you get all the best staff, if you get the best staff, you get the best clients. Um, and two, I think we as business owners and business leaders now uh, are thinking incorrectly if we think, is this the way that we can save costs on the office and peter and water and dilute the things we were going to do and just blame it on COVID? And I think, no, I'm going the opposite direction again. I'll tell you what, I'm going to go even deeper on the experience. So, so you would rather come into work than you would go home, work from home. So that's the next mm. stage for us that we're moving to. That's a fantastic vision that you've just laid out there and refreshing as well. Mm. I've not quite thought of it in those terms. What I have been talking about whilst we've been going through these challenges and difficulties is, you know, a push back against this narrative that cities are going to die and everybody's going to be sat at home, stuck in front of the laptop, on Zoom calls, then on emails, then on phone calls. Because for me, that's there's no joy in that. Like that is work for the sake of Agreed. producing whatever you're being asked to produce. It's almost like human sausage machines, isn't it? Yeah. Because you, you you're not getting creativity, you're not getting social interaction. You're not getting engagement with the culture of business. And so I'm hoping I'm right when I say, I think the death of cities has been greatly exaggerated because I think once we get through this, in particular, the younger generation who don't have big back gardens, generally mm -hmm. speaking, to go and enjoy the sunshine mm -hmm. when we get sunshine, who don't have an office within the house that they can just park themselves in yeah. and then go and live the the rest of the life normally for 
you know, imagine working 24-7 in the... Well, being, sorry, 24-7 in the place where you work. Because if you've got a bloody desk set up at your kitchen table... Yeah. And then overnight, you you might sweat your laptop off, but it's still your place of work. Agreed. So I think cities, you know, they probably do have to reimagine themselves. Workspace has to be a bit more innovative and imaginative. Yeah. And as you say, make it an experience and an enjoyable place to invite people into. I totally agree. That's the way to go. I totally agree. And we're already going there pre-office with retail. Yes. It still baffles me that Toys R Us would sell toys in a box stacked 100 foot in the air where you can't get to them. And yet at the same time they're going bust, skater parks, you know, um, trampoline parks, and, and, and actual physical experiences are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, if you look at JD Sports, they've done gyms. Why have they done it? Because what they're going to do is they're going to have a load of gyms and then as you walk out the gym, you'll walk through the shop yeah. and you'll buy your gym gear. That's how it's going to be. Mm. And if you're Debenhams and you haven't innovated for 40 years, you're going to go bust. Yeah. And if you're Toys R Us and you want to box up all the toys rather than having them, having all the things that existed, right? So it's only retail now, but I think the same is for the office. Um, if, if you're going to stay as Toys R Us where you box up all your toys and you, you know, when you're walking around with your kids, they're not mithering you to death because they want the toys because they're playing with it while well, every time you turn your back, yeah. you know, You've got to create the experience and then people will come back to the retail environment. There's no doubt about it and, 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 and it will, the high street will change. But I, I think offices are the same. Yeah. There's two ways to go of it. You either go, let's go backwards into just giving them a, you know, a white box and, and, and a load of desks to sit at. And then they might as well sit at home, Frank. Yes. May as well yeah, sit at home. Absolutely. Um, they won't get the so There'll be mental illness, by the way, of doing it. I mean, I set my business originally up at home and I couldn't cope. I couldn't cope. Yeah. I have to be able to open the door and leave behind stress, stress and pressure of a day mm. as best I can. Yeah. And that doesn't mean to putting my laptop down and eating my, eating my dinner and having a glass of wine at the place I've just spent nine hours doing a piece of work. And, and as we all know, with families, it's not, you know, with all the will in the world, I'm sat there with my missus between March and June and she's going, oh, I've just got to nip to such a place. And I'm looking at her and she's going, well, can you look after the kids? And I'm going, no. And she's going, what do you mean, no? And I'm saying, well, what would you have done if I wasn't here? Yeah. I've not been here for the last 20 years. Now, all of a sudden, you're relying on me to go and get whatever, your shopping or your hair done for me to sit and watch the kids, but you never rely on that. So the natural progression is, and that I find stressful. Yeah. I think the relationship, uh, there's an issue with, uh, with relationships going forward, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, I think it's an issue with your kids. There was times where I was feeling guilty because I'd not given my kids any time in five hours. Mm. But by the way, I'm not supposed to be doing. Yeah. I'm not supposed to be doing giving my kids time between nine and, and two. Mm. But when they're around, you feel like you should. Mm. And, and they feel like you should. And they don't understand that Frank's working and Paul's got a job to do. So I don't even think it's a, a good position for your relationship with your kids. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's a non-starter. There's some benefits, and I think you, 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 it's remiss of any business leader to not think that there are some times where having somebody sat in traffic for an hour there and an hour back, you can get that extra two hours out of them at home. And so we will embrace a hybrid to a degree. But you actually want them in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe doing Thursday afternoon, Friday at home. I don't know, something like that. I think there's a more of a hybrid will come out of this. But I think it's up to us as business leaders is to get people wanting to come to work. 
I agree. 100%. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and, so, and, you know, just in terms of personal experience from the team I've got, relatively young team, to be fair, so I'm not necessarily saying this is complacent and consistent across, uh, consistent, I should say, across the, the piece. But they were desperate to get back in. Mm. You know, we didn't have any pushback. When we said, we're going back into the office in June, the whole team went great. And when these latest restrictions have been announced, the team are saying to me, we don't have to work from home again, do we? And that's the difference, isn't it, in terms of perhaps a mindset of going into a place where hopefully they're enjoying it yep. as well as being and feeling more productive when they're in that office environment. Certainly, that, that's, the, that's what you've created. 100%. And, and obviously, you was on my uh, podcast this week, and I think we, we touched upon the point of there is no way you can just follow what Boris is saying. There is no way on this earth he could just turn around one month and say, all get back to work, and the following month, on the, say from tomorrow, go back, go back to work. From you can't fuck with people's heads like that. No. When he said get back to the office, I didn't, and I'm sure you didn't just say from tomorrow you're all in the office five days a week. <laughs> see you at our fate. Mm. We're back to normal. You have to transit with any changes. Mm. You have to have transition. You have to smooth out that there's going to be bumps. So you've got to have smooth them out. Mm. Um, I find it remarkable and remiss and I, I can't even begin to go into too much what I feel about this idea that you can just open shut, furlough people, bring people back, work from home, get into the office. It, you just people can't, people are not able to cope mentally with that. No. Um, so we're just doing what we was doing. We was actually going to get back almost full time back October. So we've, 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 we've um, put those plans on hold. People are doing probably three days a week. But nearly everybody said, please don't send us back to yeah. working from home. Yeah, yeah. So the next stage of your journey, uh, because you've got offices at the moment, Manchester, which is where you started, mm -hmm. Leeds, London, mm -hmm. and you've decided to come to Liverpool. Mm -hmm. uh, you're working now in the yeah. city. And you've been looking for a while. So it's been a... Well planned, yeah. Um, initiative. This it's not as if you've rocked up a couple of months ago yeah. and said, "Oh, yeah. may as well have a look at Liverpool." First of all, what attracted you to the city? So, so I've always had in my head that I would do Liverpool, Leeds, and Manchester. I love Manchester. Obviously, that's where I'm, that's where I'm from. <clears throat> but I don't love it in a way that I think it's better than every other city. I don't have this, I've never had this competitiveness between Manchester and Liverpool or Manchester and Leeds. I think Manchester's a great city, but I think Leeds is a great city and I think Liverpool's a great city. And there's been a lot of barriers where people said to me when I went to Leeds, oh, you won't, Yorkshire, Yorkshire people deal with Yorkshire people. And obviously I'm coming to Liverpool and they're all saying, you know, Scousers deal with Scousers. And now I've got quite a man captain, as you know, <laughs> even though I'm from Stockport, but... Um, uh, so, but it's never bothered me, right? And when I, when I had in my head, I don't get why there isn't a, an advisory firm that dominate the M62. They don't dominate the Northwest, if you include um, Leeds, or I know they class themselves as the North, but there's nobody that's, there's people that have gone, I'm going to Liverpool, we've got an office in Liverpool, you haven't, 
you've got one, one guy in an office and that's not an office to me in Liverpool, right? I've got an office in Leeds. You haven't got an office in Leeds. You've got a, a woman who sits in, you know, does a bit of bookkeeping for you in Leeds. So when I did Leeds, I went in with two foot. We bought a business, 40 staff, 90 odd years old, staple of the community. And we, we, we put our culture on it and it worked. It was a risk, but it worked. Um, I want to do the same now in Liverpool. And what I tend to do is I don't just do it as a whim because if I didn't like Liverpool, I wouldn't come. So I've been coming to Liverpool a couple of times a month for year, for the past few years just to see it. And I know I don't do like a feasibility study, which an accountant <laughs> should do. I go to the bars yeah. in the main and I go to the restaurants and I walk down the Castle Streets or the Greek Streets in Leeds and I see who's popping up and who's opening and I just get a vibe for the city. That's my feasibility study. Mm. And then I think, okay, I like this city. Um, what's, what's the competition there? And I'm not here to bad now advisors. I just think what we do is different mm. to what currently exists in Liverpool. And do I think they will like it? Yes. Um, so that's how I set about it. It's just, a, I like to go into cities where I feel like, and we are in London, that was just an opportunist, um, it, it wasn't, that wasn't planned where Liverpool was, that was just opportunist London. And London and us Northerners, we've got that grit, which I do like, I'm quite proud of being from the North, where it's like, I speak to my clients, even me, I started my business on a credit card. You know, there's not many, you just don't hear them stories in, in London. It's like, got this idea, what is it? Well, we want to open this uh, events and this membership thing, right, what is it? Just need half a million quid to get it off the ground. It's very much like that, yeah. and so I'm quite proud of the uh, the northern folk, if you like. And that's not Manx or Scousers or Yorkshire yeah. folk or whatever it is. It's just us up north in general have more of an affinity with that level headedness. So I always wanted to do Liverpool. Came for a couple of years, you know. Started to speak to people like you. Tried to get under the skin of the city. I've been training at Rotunda Gym, is it? Rotunda yeah, ABC. Yeah. Yeah. Because you just know in there, you're going to get every walk of life. Mm. You know, you're going to get in a, in a boxing gym, you, you know, there's Bentleys outside, there's Range Rovers outside, and then there's, you know, you get all sorts of life. So but I even do stuff like that to try to get under the skin. Um, the community stuff, as you know, we do a lot in the community. So again, I think one of these things where people get it wrong is they come into Liverpool or Leeds or Manchester, if you're on vice versa, and they come in to make more money. I'm not coming in here to make more money. I think we will make money, but that's not what's driving me. I think we can be a statement. I think it's part of a vision. I think we can, we can be part of change for the city, for the community, uh, the communities that need us. You know, we do a lot in the community in Manchester and Leeds now, and I'm, I'm going in Toxteth and, and Bootle and trying to understand those kind of areas to see what they need. Because I think leaders have got to step up, Frank. Especially with this shower shit we've got in, um, you look at what Marcus Rashford's done, and you look at what yeah, Boris Johnson's yeah. just done today, and said, we, you know, we're not we're not extending kids' school. I mean, so fine, we ain't going to change his mind, but we can do something about it ourselves, and that's one of the things we'll look to do in the city as well. Uh, and so Liverpool offers then, mm. um, as I say, if you've not experienced Sedulo, I'm yeah. sure you've welcomed visitors into yeah, the yeah. Manchester space or the yeah. Leeds space for that matter. Uh, both impressive facilities. What have you got planned for Liverpool? 
it's going to be the best one and there's no doubt about that so we originally had an acquisition i won't go into too much uh, about that but we was doing this pre-covid and we had an acquisition lined up and uh, i won't say too much because i still think that'll go ahead mm. early next year which will because i want that that to be one of the largest independents in every city not two at a desk in so so anyway covid came and that's kind of put that on the just on the back burner until early next year and then i had a choice do we do that four-man office and it and and and, and it, the choice didn't last very long we went for the building was originally going to do which is exchange flags center of the city walker house fifth floor 10-year lease seven thousand square foot seven and a half thousand square foot so we really should have about 700 staff in that <laughs> Um, and and uh, I've, we've just got two at the moment uh, but so yeah so he, he, we signed the lease in, in September fit out is October November December um, and it's, it's going it's, it, it's to have a, a three and a half thousand square foot freestanding bar a little bit like the ivy it's going to be a bit like the space is going to be a bit like the ivy the room's coming off it we have a clock Kendall suite She's uh, going to be um, obviously blue, red, dugouts as the seating areas, fuzzball machine, astroturf. So it'd be that kind of thing. I've got an American diner going in, um, in the staff quarters. We've got um, a Horton suite going in. So the boardroom will be like a military battle. So if anyone's ever been to the museum underneath, that's the buildings where um, the Admiral Horton uh, won the battle of the seas yes. wasn't it during the world yeah. war so we're paying tribute to him with a, a pretty cool space that's going in and then we do a podcast so um we're doing an oprah winfrey suite which will be a bit of a chat show style thing where we can do our podcast which is all soundproof so we've got that um in the others we've got a chocolate room and um and a sweet room so this one's going to be a biscuit room uh, and McVitie sweets going in there and then you're going to lead, lead you go from the bar down a red carpet and go straight out onto what will be an old Victorian so we're going to go back to the when it was built and have a Victorian outdoor rooftop garden which overlooks Oliva and the Mersey uh, River so it's going to be pretty spectacular actually I think it's going to be interesting can't wait can't Lovely. wait so we'll be in there Jan so we just took a small space now 1500 square foot or something and we've started the recruitment we've got about probably any we already had six or seven travelling every day so there's probably six seven eight nine people in there every day soft launch now until Jan getting in Jan and um, have a big party and then see what and see how it goes and if we can do it organic we do it organic but if we don't get the traction soon enough we'll just do an acquisition because i don't want to be one of those manx or whatever that comes in and you know has you know a handful of people but says they've got a liverpool office so it's going to be pretty spectacular i think looking forward to it yeah. you mentioned there it doesn't surprise me um klopp and kendall yeah and that sort of sport and theme because yeah. you love your sport yeah uh and you've got a lot of clients in the world of sports as well uh, and of course you recognise that Liverpool is dominated by football yeah uh, but also boxing I mean, mm. you're into your boxing mm. aren't you? um, so uh, let me just switch the conversation slightly to you know as a business owner um, how that world of sports and those clients from that place impact on you what lessons do you think 
we as business owners can learn from our sporting heroes and, mm. and those people who who operate at elite levels. Very interesting. It's um, I'm do I'm, I'm actually doing a piece of work at the moment. So first of all, what I like about our sport, what I hate about sport, right, is that working class people make a load of money, being very talented at some at something, and far too often end up retiring and losing it all. That pisses me off. There's no two ways about it. Coming from where I've come from, uh, and and it tends to be bad advisors, bad advice. So we've always advised in sport on a personal level to to athletes, um, for for that perspective. And I kind of pride ourselves. And every time I say, it doesn't matter who the the, the, the footballer or whatever it is, I'm not going to get rich off off a footballer. I get rich off building businesses and selling them. That's that's how we create value in, in, in the business. Getting rich is not the right phrase, but that's how we create value and earn our living. So that means we can be honest and frank. We can be straight to the point. That investment that he's told you to do is bullshit. What you really should have been doing is this, this and this and building towards your secondary career. So that's what we've always done with sport. We act for a lot of national governing bodies and we act for quite a few professional sports clubs. So that's our sporting background. The reality of it is when you look at sports people, I think they get a really, there's two parts of looking at I think one, they get a really hard time because the level of discipline they put in, just people do not see. People are sat in the pub thinking, you know, um, it's all right for him, he's on 200 grand a week. But the level of discipline that they have to attach in order to stay at that level, it, it's... It's be careful what you wish for, I think. Be careful what you wish for because... Your whole years of probably probably now 10 to 35, 36, some of your best years of your life, you haven't even got a life, have they? So the level of discipline they have is phenomenal. And I think as business owners, we should learn from that. Because I've, I've said this, I think, to you in the past, the way Sajulo's running away is off a of discipline. And it's off a of discipline that if, if one of my guys is coming to meet you on a Monday morning at nine o'clock you're paying for him or her to give you the correct advice you're not paying for it to turn up pissed from the night before with no sleep tired rough if you want a solution to a tax problem you want her to be at a level of performance elite performance because that's what you're paying for and this is what i'm always drumming home to our team and again i don't think Business owners take their health seriously enough and I don't think they take the staff's health seriously enough, but I do. Because I think if, if who's your latest player, Rodriguez, he doesn't get pissed on a Friday night and perform on a Saturday. He's very disciplined about what he does. And if you want to be a business owner leader or a valued member of a team as an employee, I think you have to take it equally as seriously as what they do. And I mean your hydration. I mean... The, your, your, your nutrition, I mean your sleep, I mean your meditation, I mean your recovery. If you speak to a top athlete, they'll say the main difference between an elite athlete and a semi-pro athlete is hardly ever ability, but it's the ability to recover in between games. One's got serious recovery, the other one's at work. So all those things I think we can learn. You know, if a sports club pays somebody 200 grand a month or 200 grand a week, they give them that support mechanism in order to get the best out of them, or they should do. Well, if we want our performers in our business to perform at the level that we want them to, different, different activity, might be putting on an event, 
You still want it to the level that Rodriguez plays on a Saturday. You don't want somebody half cut, half pissed, not slept for three nights, you know, because you want somebody who's who's on the ball. So if you want that, you've got to... Um, you've not only got to lead by example by doing that, you've also got to educate people. One of the crazy things about life, Frank, is I think people don't actually think that much about what's going on on a day-to-day -day basis, about themselves. And... Um, I think that's changing. And I think mental health is a massive driver towards that. But I will see people stressed out and they'll have five, six coffees. It's fucking bad for you. Five, six coffees in the morning is bad for you. You know, Diet Coke and eating crap food and not getting nutrients is bad for you. Not, not gearing yourself up for sleep at night and being sat there on your phone at midnight, half 12, one in the morning when your alarm clock's going off at 6.45. It's not good for you. And I, d I think we can learn a lot of that from um, sport to, for elite performance and consistency of elite performance, which is what they're looking at. We should be looking at our sport club for influence. Is that the answer you thought it was going to get? Uh, not necessarily, <laughs> but it's a good one. Right. Um, I, I, never, I take it that I, seriously. I, I, I tell you, I, I never expect any sort of answer <laughs> from you, and then I'm never surprised, am I? Um, listen, I'm going to uh, close the first part of the conversation, but when we come back, I'm going to pick up on the mental health aspect, but in a slightly different way, um, because we're hearing an awful lot of talk at the moment about protecting vulnerable people uh, from coronavirus. Um, but my view of this is that whilst I can understand and appreciate why we're trying to do that, I don't think necessarily we're understanding the wider implications and mental health is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. So let's take a couple of minutes. Yeah. And we'll be back in a sec. Cool. Welcome back to a frank conversation with Paul Cheatham, who's the founder of Sedulo Group. Uh, and just prior to uh, the break there, we were talking about the issue of mental health. And you yourself, Paul, has gone through some personal issues in mm -hmm. terms of anxiety, which you were very open and honest about last time we spoke. What's pissing me off in terms of the conversation at this moment in time around the whole COVID crisis is that when people like you and I say we've got to look at the wider implications here, not just economic but health-wise, mm -hmm. there's an accusation almost, isn't there? You're only interested in the bottom line. Yeah. Now, you and I have been talking mm. about mental health yeah. for three or four years, yeah. looking long before yeah. COVID came yeah. along. Yeah. And I know that it's you're passionate about this, or yeah. passionate. And what we're going through at the moment, whatever other, uh, the other implications of where we're at, we are going to see an explosion, in my opinion, of mental health issues mm -hmm. because of the way in which this is being managed. 100%. And I don't understand why it's not getting airtime. Yeah. Um, Obviously, we talked yesterday, and uh, we know there's a pandemic, we know there's a health problem, we know there's an issue, and there is a balance between, it's not, you're not, um, because you care about the economy, it doesn't mean you don't care about people. Yeah. In fact, the fact you care about the economy shows you care about people, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Because we don't even need to talk about, you know, impoverished societies are of poor health and have poor death rates. That's a fact. Yeah. So I don't understand why in the current guys that we've got, we, 
we, we, there, there is no sort of, there, there isn't, it's not even a discussion point, Frank. He doesn't even get brought up about this whole thing of poverty. Jobless societies leading to increased crime, increased ill health, increased strain on our healthcare system, increased um, issues with mental health, which we've been seeing and seeing and seeing anyway, and is now only going to get 10 times worse. I mean, we already, is it 17 in every 100,000 males is uh, deaths anyway? Uh, suicides, should we say. And that's growing every year. God knows what it's going to be like next year, because I can see next year being far worse than this year, which was far worse than last year. Um, it, I, I don't know why there isn't this discussion even of, hold on a minute here, we know that we're going to lose vulnerable people. Nobody wants to do that. Fuck me. You want to keep your business, but you want your mum to live at the same time. You know, we're not... It's not one or the other here, is it? Um, so, so, so that's fine. So, so what I don't get is people only tend to see like um, one inch in front of the nose. And what's in front of the nose right now is a COVID problem or a direct COVID problem, should we say. Um, what's going to happen next year? What's just round the corner and down the road, which I think some of us can see, including the government, because let's be honest, they must be being advised on this left, right and centre but it, for some reason, don't fit with a narrative at the moment to say, we, we can't go into lockdown, or we can't go into lockdown, we can't go do all this, because whilst we might lose 100,000 people, I'm making that figure up, we're going to lose a million people over the next two years through poverty and mental health. I've not even seen a stat where they brought that up, Frank. So, by the way, anybody listening, I've just completely made those figures up, and I'm not saying for one minute they're the figures. What I'm saying is, you should be given a choice you should be given a choice, and I should be given a choice. Do we want to continue, but there'll be 100,000 extra deaths, but there'll be no extra deaths from mental health, health illness, etc., other illnesses that are not getting treatment? Or do we want to, do we have to accept 100,000 deaths to save a million deaths over the next two years afterwards? Never been a discussion, and yet that is staring us in the face. Yeah. I think the other frustrating thing for people like you and I who follow this stuff as best you can while still trying to run your business mm. and do all the other things that you have to do in life, is there's so many contradictory pieces of advice coming now. I'm not talking about politicians because we know yeah. they have a different type of agenda. And by the way, I don't criticise that because they have their own pressures. Mm -hmm. They want to win votes, you know, to them. Just as for us, we want to be good employers and we want to make a profit and we want to do good things in our communities. Politicians need to win votes to keep the job. Yeah. So I can take all the stuff they're saying, and I might not agree with it, but I can understand why some of that's happening. But when you get scientific advice and evidence, and that's so contradictory, that's when I start to say, well, why are politicians so intent on following the science and who's selecting what science to follow and when the world health organization yeah. come out as they have this week and said lockdowns don't work and we're now going into a phase that it looks like the whole country is potentially going to be locked down again that's when i start to shake my mm. head so there's a frustration in terms of the scientists don't even agree on this approach mm -hmm. and yet we're going down the line mm -hmm. and then the other big frustration I'm getting more angry now on this, is 
the point you've just made, we're not even having the discussion about all those other issues that we're building up for ourselves. It's just starting to piss me off, to mm. be honest with you. I, I totally agree with you. And I've gone, I, I at first was getting annoyed with people having a go at the government. I always try and put myself in their shoes. And in their shoes, I think, what would I do? Well, I'd try this, I'd do that, that wouldn't work. You know, you'd lose votes, you'd lose credibility, but then you'd gain some there. You know, cut them some slack. But what's kind of happened is, is it's got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Even to the point now where they're only wheeling out scientists that will, that will back up their narrative and their agenda. Not let us have informed discussions and make informed decisions as adults on where, where the public sort of... And that's why we're polarised again, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. We're in that position yeah. now where if you're a Tory, you ain't Labour. If you're Labour, you ain't Tory. If you're a Brexiter, you ain't Remainers, you're Remainers. And then you're 50-50 and it's 50... And now, if you, if you want to keep... If you don't want to go into a national lockdown... Mm then you know you, you might as well you know you might as well commit murder yeah. you know yeah. you don't care about people you don't care about health mm. it's another polarization again yeah. and i just don't understand why on every issue at the moment there's there's, there's such an extremist view and i'm getting lost in it too mm. so Somebody who, 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 who sort of not the political parties as much but Brexit and remain by the end of it I'd started out as a bit of a Remainer. Mm. By the end of it, I fucking hated Brexit. You know, <laughs> I can't say anything right with Brexit. Um, so I'm following the narrative, yeah, but yeah. I'm, I'm doing the same again. I'm finding myself getting so angry yeah. with the, the lack of evidential data. I think he's called Oliver Dowden. He's an MP or Secretary of State for Culture Media, yeah. I think. Tory, I guess. Um, he was on the... He was on the He's on a Sky programme, I think, the Sky, Sky News the other day, and they said, what's the evidence around, uh, I think it's around the curfews, is around hospitality industry closing it down effectively. And he just said, there's evidence. And she said, oh, yeah, quite politely. She just said, what is the evidence? Well, it's in America. OK, what's the evidence in America? Well, there's a whole host of it. OK, tell me one of the pieces of evidence of the whole host of it. And, he, and, and quite clearly he was lying. Mm. Quite clearly... He was lying. And I just don't know how we find ourselves in that situation, mate, where we're in a real critical time. You want the nation galvanised. That's Boris's job right now. It's to galvanise a nation. And it's a difficult job. I understand that. But with the correct communication, with the right... Um, if you said to me, now you've got to wear... I don't like wearing face masks. If you said to me, no, you've got to wear a face mask, Paul. Here's the evidence. I'm wearing, I'm wearing a face mask. Mm. You've only got to tell me yeah. why I've got to do something and I'll do it. And that is, I would think, most people. But mm. where we are at the moment is, it's don't wear a face ma mask, wear a face mask, eat out to help out, we're shutting the pubs. <laughs> you know, you, healthy people survive the, um, the COVID, we're going to close the gyms. Mm. You know, it is so contradictory, the, uh, sorry, the, 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 the strategy shows we haven't got a strategy for a start. Um, and the sort of, the lack of being honest. Mm. Honestly, I, I honestly believe, and I, I don't, be careful what I say here, but I honestly believe I could do a far better job. And I know it's easy to say, and I'm not just saying that. I only mean, start by caring. Mm. 
because you can still get things wrong. But if you care, most people don't care yeah, yeah. that you've got things yeah, wrong. Yeah. So start by caring, start by communicating, have a plan. And if you're going to change the plan, just explain to people why. And they've got such an arrogance, this government. And I'm mainly a Tory, so I can vote both. But if there was probably five elections, I'd probably vote Tory at four of them, I guess, something like that. Um, it's, it's, fast. it's a farce, Frank. You know, you, you, I, I'm a somebody who is very numbers-driven and very data-driven and very statistically driven. That's what I do. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not interested in all that. It's not for me. Um, I can't make, make heads or tails of any. In fact, you've got scientists putting out worst-case scenarios. And when it doesn't come to fruition, you've got them saying, yeah, it was, it was a worst-case scenario. <laughs> Having no sort of... <coughs> they knew full well they was putting that out for Boris to follow the next day to, to say, we must put these measures in because of... Do you see the data that we shared yesterday? Well, the data's not come to fruition. I bet you any money in the world, well, you won't take the bet on it, but, and there'll be nobody that takes the bet on this, this. But I don't bet anybody anything. We haven't got anything planned for tomorrow, because I think it's the 15th today. And that chart that they showed us on about the 14th, 15th of September was up yesterday, 50,000 cases. I think we had 19,000. So there's 60% wrong. So really, what they should do is follow that up, shouldn't they? Mm. You, this is not me being dead intelligent, eh, Frank, is it? I'm not like, this is not fucking rocket science, mind-blowing stuff. You've told somebody this is going to happen, and you've got to the end of it, and then you normally go, here's what actually happened, and why, and what we've learned, and what was good, and what was bad, and what I'm going to change. You won't hear anything of it, we, because it never was going to happen, was it? It was a load of bullshit to get an agenda through. And everybody thinks that now. So you've got your guys in um, Liverpool, we were just talking before, who, who, fair play to him if you ask me. I shouldn't be saying that, Frank. I should be saying he's a dickhead, that guy. He should be following what's going on. Mm. But now I think he's an idiot if he follows it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because he's, he's effectively shutting his business and ruining his li livelihood. And why should you do that if, if it's known that being healthier people recover quicker mm. from COVID. Why should he shut his gym, destroy his business? Why not fight for it? Mm. I think he's raised 33 grand, Danny, in a, yeah, in a, in a, but did you see as well and, uh, the amount of police that turned up? Oh, this isn't somebody turning, you know, you get your house robbed, Frank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't even get somebody yeah. turn up anymore, yeah. but you open a gym in the middle of coronavirus to pay your mortgage and feed your kids. And you've got, it's like the Gestapo turned up, and it was like 10, 15 police. Yeah, ridiculous. It's, so that's where yeah. I sit with it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that's no, a I, question or not. I, no, I couldn't agree more with you, mate. I, I, I do think we're at that tipping point where the debate is starting to actually shift. I think the dial has moved and people are starting to question and quiz because of the illogicality of some of the decisions that are being taken. And mm. when you see a stat as I did yesterday, it's about 0.06% of transmissions they think take place at gyms then you've got to start to really say, well, come on. You know, it's obvious that the spike occurred because of the return of universities and schools. Now, we had to get the kids back to school because you were destroying a generation of people's education. Yeah. <coughs> a question, though, where we couldn't have bailed the universities out for a year mm -hmm. and said to those kids, go and have a gap here and mm -hmm. enjoy yourself. Mm -hmm. Or go and find mm. a job, mm. and actually, you probably won't go to university because yeah. you get more out of work. You learn more in work. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, for us to continue on this road of lockdown, 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 when it's not worked, and evidence has suggested that the local lockdowns haven't worked, is baffling to me. And the final point I'll make on this, and it goes back to the scientists, and having been a politician, I understand and appreciate the pressures they're under, and it's difficult in this country and in this climate at the moment to admit that you're wrong. I think these have been given more leeway over a crisis such as this because it is unique, mm -hmm. but it's difficult for a politician to change the mindset on that. What's really disturbing for me is I think these leading scientists have almost put themselves in a box now where they can't admit mm. they're wrong. Mm. So they don't want to stand up there and say, we know we've advised lockdowns, but now all mm. the evidence mm. and the World Health Organization are mm. suggesting mm. that doesn't work. We're mm. gonna find mm. we're gonna to have to find a different way. Mm. And that really, when you're independent advisors start to take positions that defend their own personal reputation mm. rather than what's best for the country that's when we're in really dangerous territory for me yeah and that's and i totally agree with you and that's why people like me has become so i don't even know a better phrase, but it's just so pissed off with it because now you can't even rely on the reliable mm. so so what and what it's actually fueling if you look on the various social platforms is these conspiracy theorists, right, are gathering momentum. Mm. And in the early days, I spent all my time arguing with them. I'll be honest with you, I don't spend any time arguing with them now because they've got so much, so many tools and retaliation to put back to me that I then can't respond to because it yeah. doesn't make sense yeah. in what we're doing. You're not even winning arguments now with some of the most ridiculous of theories. And that, along with social media, giving them a platform, is creating... This, bandwa uh, this bandwagon of, of, of conspiracy theorists, you know, people jumping on it. Mm. And, um, and it's stirring up trouble. Mm. And it's stirring up disobedience. Mm. And it's stirring... And yeah, honestly, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know how far we off, how far we are off genuine discontent that spills over into carnage, mm. riots... Yeah. I don't think we're that far off, Frank. I really don't. That is, that is the road we're on. I don't know how far we're down that road, but that's the road we're on. Because in, in the past, there hasn't been the ability for these sort of, these, these theories, if you like, to, to, to gain momentum, really. They, they've only been subdued. But, but when, when, when they're making the decisions in the way they're making them, they're really aligning themselves to these crazy thinkers. Maybe it's not the right phraseology for them. Alternative thinkers, right? And it's fueling them, yeah. and I, and they're getting momentum, and they're getting people with blue ticks and influence, and they're gaining them, and that's quite dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. I will say this: I I've got 150 staff, right, and I lead my team only for as long as people are willing to follow. The reality of it is, my team don't know this, but they hold all the power, don't they? Right, because they just fucking walk out tomorrow, and everything they've built's gone. <laughs> two minutes later, so you you can only keep people. You've only got power as long as you've got willing followers, mm. and I think he's drastically losing willing followers, mm. and he'll know that, mm. which is why I think we're at. I keep saying this though. 
I keep thinking, I thought in June, uh, you know, May, by June, mm. then I thought, we'll get the kids off. Mm. Okay, 1st of September. Mm. And then I thought, so it's not the first time I've thought that mm. and been wrong. Mm. And I feel like they're really pushing it right now because they, they, they're losing followers and you're only a leader as long as you've got willing followers. That's the balance they must be talking about at some point. I'm going to end on this note and it does impact on the mental health agenda as well. We are, I should remind uh, listeners, talking during Mental Health Awareness Week. Mm -hmm. So we've done an event this week which was really interesting. I've seen lots of other stuff as well, particularly... Uh, on social media but I'm going to talk about social media because I think it's ironic we're seeing lots of stuff on social media about mental health because of anything it's had a huge negative impact on mm. people's mental health and you said something interesting to me when you walked into the room which was I'm going to come off Twitter for a couple of weeks mm. it's doing me edit um, and you're disciplined enough to do that mm. um, and you're also in a profession Mm. where you can do that mm. uh, I don't have that luxury yep. as you can imagine I'm yep. seen as a commentator rightly yep. or wrongly yep. uh, and I try and put my views out there listen I'm thick skinned I get battered from time to time it really mm. doesn't bother me mm. it's water off a duck's back but I just can't believe after all the years of experience that we've had in using these tools and Twitter's the big platform now, yeah. but we've got Facebook and other things as well People, and I'm talking here journalists, I'm talking solicitors, mm -hmm. accountants, mm -hmm. a whole range of people who feel comfortable abusing yeah. fellow citizens mm. who just happen to disagree with their opinion in a vicious way, Paul, mm. on those social media platforms. Mm. And they think it's okay to do that. Is there a responsibility from the likes of the Googles of this world, the Facebooks, mm. to start to look at how they can potentially influence some mm. of our behaviours? Because as you were talking there about staff having the power, these yeah. guys have the power, don't yeah. they? And I don't think, given the resource available to them, they've done anywhere near enough to basically come up with a structure, almost a contract between users mm. and the platforms mm. that says, and if you don't abide by them rules, you're off. So I think they, they, they've absolutely got, um, they absolutely should be doing that. But I think one of the issues we've got is as long as their growers grow, it's the same as anything. You, you've got to vote with your feet. Mm. The minute they start to lose, which they're not. Mm. The minute they start to lose users would be the minute that they would do something about it. I've, I've not read the details of it, but there was something where Facebook was in just this week about the fact that they're unwilling to sort of expose paedophile um, mm. content mm. for fucking data yes. security or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the likelihood of them policing whether or not you're called a tosser or whatever on, uh, on, on, on a, is, is, you know if they ain't going to yeah, go yeah. to the length of yeah, yeah. exposing to the police yeah. paedophilia mm. then I can't see them taking seriously the mental health issues that are associated with being abused mm. um, I don't know where we go with it 
I, it's funny, I was with a client last night and um, and he's a music artist, so he's got a couple of million and he's not been on it. And he said, I've been watching yours. He said, you need to be careful. I said, what do you mean? He said, if I was you, I just wouldn't be on it. He said, because you're arguing with dickheads. Mm. Now, I think when you get to two million followers, he's probably had his day of you know <laughs> being called this, that and the other yeah. and... The springs out a song and everybody says it's somebody says it's good and somebody says it's crap. Yeah. So you you might be okay because you're thick skinned. I think that probably comes with a job you had previous yeah. to the job you've got now. Let's face it, but most people aren't. Mm. So most people, it's changing their, it's it's infiltrating their their persona. I put something on Facebook um, last night and. A guy from Australia started to tell me on my Facebook about what's going on in the government in the UK. But he changed my whole mood. You know, this is 10 o'clock, 10.30 at night. He changed my mood. I went to bed thinking about a guy I'd never met and and how ridiculous it was. that. And, I, and I'm checking my phone. And my missus is going, what are you doing with your phone? And I'm going, oh, I'm setting the alarm. Oh, and then, then I put it down a bit and he's not replied to my reply. And she's gone, right. And I've gone, oh, I've not put the uh, the CCTV. I'm making excuses <laughs> to go back to my phone because I want his response. Mm. And, and, and I don't think I'm alone. Mm. And you know what? I didn't have the best night's sleep last night, yeah. probably because of that. Yeah. So that's how influential it is when you've not grown up in, mm. the, in a role like you've grown yeah. up where you've learned to be thick-skinned. Yeah. So I think... I don't know what the answer is, if I'd be truthful, uh, truly honest. I don't think they are going to do anything about it. Um, if they're going to hide for GDPR or such, um, uh, or bring things like that into defending, exposing data on, 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 on like, travesty crimes, paedophilia then, they're not going to bother about whether Paul Cheatham didn't get a good night's sleep on Facebook because he got abused, had he? Yeah. So I don't think they're going to do anything. Mm. And I think the bigger worry about that is it becomes the norm. Mm. Probably even already is the norm, yeah, Frank. Yeah, yeah. The norm is to abuse people. Yeah. You know, some, my, somebody said to me, I got on my Facebook last night and I thought, it, and I sent him a response and I thought, if you respond back to me now, yeah. I'm just going to say, you wouldn't fucking speak to me like that if you was in the pub. yeah, yeah. And that was my now he didn't respond in the end, but that was my next response. Yeah. Because it's getting to the point where people will say to you whatever they want. Mm. And this other thing, last last notice on it is a, a, a word uh, or a phrase that I hate more than anything is freedom of speech. Yeah. You haven't got freedom of speech. You can't just start going down the road and say, Frank, you're a fucking tosser, you know, and you're this and you you haven't got freedom of speech. But there's this big thing of well, you can't control what somebody says on Twitter because it's freedom of speech. You know, you can say what you want about Black Lives Matter or be racist because you've got... But you haven't got freedom of speech. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that gets brought into these kind of arguments quite a bit when it comes to what you're allowed to say and what you're not allowed to say. In reality, everybody flips back to that. So I don't think they're going to do anything about it. Um, I wish I wasn't on it. It's gone from, I speak to a mate the other day, and he was saying, everybody's having these conversations, Frank, mm. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, when Facebook started, all he used to do was go on it to laugh at Lad Bible. Remember when Lad Bible was funny? <laughs> yeah. Now even Lad Bible's political. Yeah. Now Lad Bible's talking about Brexit yeah. and Remain yeah. and pandemics, and, 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 you, and you just like, it used to be a picture of 
you and your missus on holiday, you think, oh, that looks like a nice hotel. What the? You don't even get that anymore. Yeah. It's just a debate channel. Mm. But it's quite addictive. Mm. Yes. The guy last night was saying, sorry, yeah, I know it's a long answer this, but the guy, and he's, he's an actor and musician, quite a, a, a renowned, and he was saying people are addicted to the adrenaline rush. When I, when you were, we were talking about boxers, talking about when they retire at the time, then we talked about him on stage and getting that rush, and then he started talking about, and that's what people in their own lives are getting, mm. a little bit of, is it, a dopamine or whatever it is I don't know the exact thing but you put a picture up and you get 50 likes I'm not talking about you but the mm. person or you get 100 likes or 5,000 <coughs> you're getting that positive chemical adrenaline mm. which means then you want more and that's why people are getting addicted to them because it's your way of getting it's a way of being under the lights mm. Mm. if it was a boxing term yeah. but sat in your bedroom or yeah. sat in your front room yeah. and that's quite dangerous I think yeah. Scary, isn't it? Yeah. Scary stuff. And I think, you know, the point that we were making in a conversation earlier on mental health is you've got to somehow have the discipline to put that phone off. And I'm not even talking about abuse here. I'm talking about the point you made earlier. People are on these electronic devices. And I tell you, if you, I know this from personal experiences. You will. If you're on that, whatever you're doing... Could just be checking the news. If you're on that after 11 o'clock, you ain't got a good night's sleep. Probably 10 o'clock, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. And having that discipline to put your phone down at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock if you can, very difficult. But the more of us that can do it, uh, the better. And the thing about data protection now that is used by <coughs> the Facebooks and Google of this world is laughable, given the fact that every time you go on to any platform now, the first thing you'd have to do is accept cookies. So they're not that bothered about protecting no. your personal data, no. are they? In fact, no. they're harvesting it, they're selling it to all sorts of people because if I talk about Adidas or Nike or whatever <coughs> it might be, um, I can guarantee within half an hour I've got adverts popping up on my phone yeah. from those places. So this data protection... yeah. It's bollocks, isn't it? It is. It's bollocks. Yeah. I don't want to end on the word bollocks. So tell us about how you can get your podcast. Yeah. Podcast is taking care of business. It's on iTunes, Spotify, so it's on all of them. Um, in the main, as I say, it's a life story type yeah. thing, but the, we're just doing eight at the moment. You was the first on. Um, so we're doing eight at the moment, which are just COVID special. So I'm trying to get into... I thought it was a great one I did. Um, yours was a general, um, similar to what we've just done now. Yeah. I did one with Sean Hines yesterday, he's a chief exec of Manchester. And, and that, the idea of how he creates, his venue creates an ecosystem, the old GMEX. Um, he creates an ecosystem that affects Manchester. I think people need to get to grips with and understand. Yeah. Um, then I've got some more where it's just about how people have coped with being a business owner, being a single business owner, a single business owner working from home alone, when you're used to being around a team, making people redundant. So there'll be a lot of people going through that and that need to understand how people have got through those kind of scenarios. So that's uh, another one that I've got. So, and then I want to look at some of the winners. There's been winners, Frank, in, yeah. in this, you know. Um, so we'll talk to some of them, mainly e-tailers, online fashion brand type people. So we'll speak about how they're winning 
um, in the current scenario. Yeah, so take care of business, and that's on Spotify and um, iTunes. Brilliant. Final plug for you. Yeah. The book. Yeah, the book. It's funny, I released it last April, May, so it's one of those things where you release it and then you think, oh, if I'd have just left it a year, I would have had so much more. So I'll probably do another book in the future anyway. I left in my book, I was quite kind of quite transparent about numbers. Because um, you know what I do hate is I hate all these business coaches that are on fucking social medias. And because I'm a bit like that, I'll think, oh, let me see what businesses he owns. And I go in and, you know, he owns a one-man band sort of. He's <laughs> telling you how to be an elite business owner and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I put my figures in so people can make a decision. You know, if you turn over 105 million, you might want, not want to read my books. You might not think there's nothing in it. If you turn over 50 grand, there'll be something in there for you. <laughs> uh, so I put it all in and I did put a three-year plan. Uh, so I might go back on that three-year plan and, and write. But, um, yeah, the book's Taking Care of Business, Amazon Waterstones, WH Smiths. Um, yeah, and it's, an, a, again, it's just a raw, it's quite raw. It's honest, mm. in-depth. People who listen to me, like, speaking to you, or you who might know me, say it just sounds like me mm. speaking through, whatever, 200 pages. So, yeah. Excellent. There you go. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming. It's I been great to it. have a frank conversation with Paul Cheetah. Cheers, thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Thank you.